Today's show is brought to you by Miller Lite. Miller Lite changed the game by brewing a light beer with more taste and half the carbs back in 1975. And they've stuck to that playbook ever since. Miller Lite. Spelled different because it's brewed different. Welcome to the Ringer NFL Show. My name is Robert Mays. I'm a writer at The Ringer. Joining me on the other line on a Wednesday, weirdly, it's Danny Kelly. Danny, how are you? <laughs> I'm doing great, man. We're into the final week. It's kind of crazy. We are. Uh, kind of thrown off this week. Uh, we didn't have an early show because, yeah. I don't know, people are with their families the day after Christmas, I guess. I don't have right. any family or anybody that loves me, so I was available. <laughs> but uh, now we're, we wanted to get you guys a show. We're going to be doing a little bit of a playoff preview sort of look video-wise later in the week. That'll come out. We'll have some more details about it as it comes. But we wanted to do a midweek show just to touch on some of the things that happened over the weekend because kind of too a lot much of stuff. big stuff went down for us to simply miss this week and just get right into the playoff picture. So, uh, Danny, let's start uh, where I actually am right now and what was probably the biggest story of the weekend. Derek Carr breaking his leg. He's out indefinitely. He will miss the remainder of the playoffs, obviously. Just a crushing blow for the Raiders. A team that has made their first postseason in 14 years one of the best stories of the year one of the teams that's been the most fun to watch just one of the more enjoyable parts this entire season and now it kind of all comes crashing down when it was supposed to start mattering most i know it i mean that's just so crazy and sad and and frustrating and i mean even for non-oakland fans like it's just fun to have it's just they they were exciting for you know potential upsets in the playoffs and everything like that you know like it just changes everything in the AFC. So, huge, huge bummer. And, and obviously for him and, and for the Raiders in general, like it, they're just not going to be as good. So, you know, I just can't see them kind of surviving this. It really speaks to how much of a Razor's edge you're playing on in the NFL at this time of year. Because it's not as if the Raiders were the Seahawks and Derek Carr was getting his brains beat in every week. And it's like, oh, well, it's only a matter of time before right. Derek Carr gets hurt. That was the only hit he took the entire game. I know. That, and there that's is just something that, so cool yeah. about that. <laughs> I know, and it, it's it wasn't even that like crazy of a play. Like I know, it, it just didn't even look like it was that bad at first. But obviously, then you can kind of see him mouthing, "It's broken" or whatever, and you're like, "Oh shit!" Like this is like season changing for not just the Raiders, but for like a lot of teams. So definitely crazy, uh, you know series of events on whatever what was it saturday or sunday i can't remember it was but. saturday it was christmas eve i mean it was one yeah. of the many games that was going on there in the noon slot so let's just talk about this from the raiders perspective initially this is a team that you know, their offense was really what was going to drive them you know their fourth mm-hmm. in offensive dvoa i believe they really had gone up against any other offense in the league in terms of firepower how much they were scoring and now you have to recalibrate that a bit with mcgloin it changes you, know, you still have right. some of the weapons crabtree and cooper have been excellent all season it's a very good duo of guys that can go get balls and just make plays independent of who the quarterback is and then you have to really lean on the running game in a way they have it so uh, do you think that with what they still have there the Raiders have a chance of say winning at least one playoff game yeah I do I think that they could still win you know they're with the way that the AFC is kind of shaped up too especially like I mean they're potentially going to be playing one of you know like the Texans, Dolphins, Chiefs, potentially Steelers. I think that, you know, they're still set up to, to compete and, you know, make things interesting. But I just think, you know, it takes them from being a potential Super Bowl team to 
a team that I, I don't know, like they could they could figure out a way to beat one team or something, but I just can't see them, you know, winning two three playoff games in a row. It's going to be tough, and I think I agree they can win one. They would probably play Houston if they didn't get the bye. So if they did get the bye, obviously they're in the divisional round no matter what. Right. If they don't. They're looking at the five seed playing the Texans, and you figure that they could win an ugly game with Houston. Yeah, and, and absolutely. This What really differentiates this team to me from the team they were last year is both Carr's evolution, which, again, makes it even sadder, and two, bringing in Osemele and just kind of having in a, having a new element and a new degree of running game. So right. the fact that they can just line up and beat teams up, we saw them do that to Denver on that Sunday night is the best example. I see them bringing in Vidal Alexander as a sixth offensive lineman a lot and just saying, mm-hmm. okay, this is who we are now. We're going to try to beat you up and push you around, and it's just a matter of how far that can bring them. You made a good point in your article about that, um, you know, after the game, about how now they don't have to use the the – pistol and shotgun stuff because because you know cars pinky was requiring them to kind of do that and now they have their full complement of runs you know at their disposal so that's one silver lining of this whole thing is they can yeah, line up to under, be clear under center. if you could trade the shotgun for Derek Carr, you make that trade <laughs> I mean, I'm not. Yeah, that's not. I'm not saying obviously yeah, it's like a I, good thing, but yeah, I, I wanted to make that clear when I was I was making that point. I was like, let's just I, don't worry. I know that Derek Carr is more important than being able to run the ball under center. So continue. <laughs> I just wanted to make that clear. <laughs> yeah, no, no doubt. And but I mean, like it does open up their run game a little bit, and they still have some talented guys in that in the backfield. You know, explosive guys. They have three pretty much. They have three players that can really run the ball, and so you know maybe they'll spread the ball around a little bit like that. Uh, you know, obviously they still have two guys that can, you know, get, get beat one-on-one coverage and uh, Mari Cooper and Michael Crabtree. You know, I don't know. It, they have a chance. It's not like, you know, they're not in a terrible, terrible situation where there's no hope or anything like that. I think they have enough talent and they have a great pass rushing duo in, in Mac and Irvin. And, I, you know, Mac is the kind of guy that can honestly take over a game. If you get one or two, if you get a strip sack, you know, that's potentially, you know, game altering play. So, it, I mean, there's still hope, and I don't think, you know, it's not like this all of a sudden makes them a terrible team. I just think, you know, like you said, it, it kind of just makes them one of the Super Bowl favorites to sort of another, just another team in the AFC. I would like to see, you mentioned all three of those guys in Latavius Murray, DeAndre Washington, and Jalen Richard. I yeah. want to see all of them in these games that whatever how many games that the Raiders play I want to see those guys all touch the ball a decent amount the one thing that would make me just bang my head against the wall is if we see 25 carries from Latavius Murray and that running game not go anywhere because that can I happen agree. I mean he is the he is not as he's not nearly as explosive as other two guys he's not going to give you as much as in terms of big plays and they need something they're mm-hmm. rubbing two sticks together offensively now and if they want to find a yeah. spark it's definitely with one of those two in my mind Oh, 100%. Yeah, I totally agree. He, You know, like, Murray is more of, like, just a, you know, he's a volume back. Yep. I think, you know, he's a guy that can grind it and, and like, get a lot of carries and, and, you know, get positive yardage. But, like you said, on DeAndre Washington, Jalen Richard, those guys can, you know, they can hit, like, 60-yard touchdowns. So, yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, my question is, you know, has the defense improved enough to get them – you know, get them f- like further than we, you know, obviously they were being kind of carried by their offense all year. And so, you know, can the defense pick up some of the slack? I, I don't know. They've been playing better, but I don't know if they're at that level to kind of compete with some of the other teams in the AFC right now in terms of defenses. 
Well, the problem is that it, say they get the bye. Say they somehow beat Denver, who's given up, and they don't have to play <laughs> yeah. until the second round of the playoffs. There's a good chance at that point they would get Pittsburgh. Because Pittsburgh yep. would likely beat Miami, and then they would have to play against the Steelers. And that's the problem, is that I think the biggest winners here are the Steelers and the, the Patriots, excuse me. Yeah, because yeah. they both now have the offenses that can score, and no one else really does. Kansas City is right there. I mean, I think that you can make an argument that KC could score with them, but I still don't right. think it's quite to the same level. So that's the issue, is that their defense probably isn't improved enough to be able to go toe-to-toe with a team like the Steelers or the Patriots. Yeah. Isn't it isn't it funny that the Patriots are the big winners in all of this? It's ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, because I mean, the Steelers the way they kind of we'll talk about this, but the way they came back and really lit up the Ravens in the second half of that game, and especially those right. last couple drives, reminded you, oh yeah, look at the players they have. But they haven't been that offense all season. So when you're New England right now, the only thing that can really take you down is another team that can light up the scoreboard like you can. And now there's right. only one of them. And, and it's just kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah. that's. I mean, that's just what I've been thinking about since it happened, is like the Patriots' path to Houston in the Super Bowl uh, – got so much easier because you know obviously there's still a huge question is the Patriots defense good enough to, to you know face off against one of the NFL's top quarterbacks because like I wrote about last week we, we haven't really seen if they've if they have that capability they've had the easiest schedule of opposing offenses all season they haven't really faced a top tier quarterback I think Russell Wilson's probably the top quarterback they faced and I mean even his season's been up and down so um yeah, I mean, we. I was just looking forward to seeing what Carr could do to that defense. What you know, steal or what? Like even Tannehill. I mean, not not like he would put him in the top tier, but any like they just haven't faced any really great quarterbacks this year. So I don't know. Their their path to the Super Bowl just got a lot easier. And that's the thing is that it's not just. Car. It, look at everybody else that's gotten hurt. Obviously, the other big injury the weekend was Marcus Mariota, and you know, right. that's that's distressing just because you don't like to see a guy break his leg but the texans were or the, excuse me the titans were gonna lose that game anyway they right. were getting beat up by jacksonville which this team all year we've talked about it they are so enticing in so many moments yep. and then when we really count on them to do something it's just not there and we right. saw that with both them and tampa bay last weekend and i just feel like maybe it's because we want these top tier quarterbacks the guys drafted you know one two a couple you know last year we want right. them to be a part of the conversation conversation when it starts to matter but it just felt like with both of those rosters they weren't ready yet yeah maybe they're a year away maybe you know i think that the tech or excuse me the titans have a very promising future i think i totally um, agree same same with the buccaneers but i you know you said it we we talked about it like week after week like we just never knew what titans team was going to show up they you know crap the bed against the colts or whoever and um you know that happened again even before Mariota got hurt so the Texans credit to the Texans I mean they they earned that you know they didn't like squeak in because Mariota got hurt like they were gonna win like it looked pretty much like you know the, the Texans were gonna secure it so I don't know um but yeah I, I definitely agree it's like how excited are we still to see Tom Savage you know in, in the playoffs it's not just <laughs> Tom Savage about- anymore it's Tom Savage Matt Moore Matt McGloin I mean that's and Alex, and Alex Smith is the third best quarterback in the AFC right now. Yeah, I mean that is nuts. It's crazy. Uh, we'll get into all that playoff stuff uh, later on this weekend when we do some video together. But uh, let's get to some of the other news that isn't necessarily looking forward. It's more just 
where do these teams go now that aren't going to be in the playoffs? Rex right. Ryan is no longer the coach of the Buffalo Bills. And I feel like that's not a shock to anybody, but you know, this is a team that I feel like a lot of people thought had some talent the last couple seasons. You know, he inherited a defense that was a top-tier unit by DVOA, by points allowed, whatever, under Jim Schwartz, and they were never that. You know, Some of the guys got hurt. They lost some of that talent. But this is a team that was just never the group we thought they were going to be when Rex got there. Yeah, I mean, that, and that's what I wrote about this this week is my, you know, just my impression of it was, like, what's the what's the point of leaving him or keeping him around when, you know, you brought him in because he's a defensive-minded coach. He's supposed to be the defense, you know, expert. And he took a really, really great defense, and now it's middling to, to downright bad in a lot of areas. You know, they gave up 200-plus yards to Jay Ajayi again, and it's just... I mean, it, it makes sense to me that you'd look to Anthony Lynn or whoever else they're going to bring in now after the season, but, like, the offense is what's carried them. And so it, it kind of comes down to, like, why why is he, you know, even here at this point? Because he kind of, uh, you know, I don't know if ruined is the right word. That's the word I used in my article, but he kind of did, did ruin their defense, <laughs> you know? I'm torn about this because the more I've looked at it and the more I've really thought about it over the years, I feel like your performance on the side of the ball that your head coach is an expert in isn't necessarily an indication of where you are as a roster. You know, I feel like Dan Quinn is a good example now. You know, Atlanta's not beaten anybody up defensively, but the hires they've made on the offensive staff and just what he's done with that roster as a whole seems to be working. I mean, they're right. a historically good offense. It's not anything that Dan Quinn is doing from a schematic defensive perspective. So I think that there are ways to kind of bring your roster forward in a direction that matters everything else. I think that you should probably have some impact on the side of the ball that you actually have some knowledge about, but it it just seemed like that entire team was going in the wrong direction, and that's indicative of the way they reacted to stuff last year with Mario Williams, what Marcel Dario said this week right after Rex Ryan Mm -hmm. got fired, essentially Mm -hmm. that it just wasn't working. So, I mean, that's the problem, is that it just seemed like no one had really bought into what was going on there. Yeah, and to me the difference is... Like Rex Ryan inherited a really, really talented. That's a good defense. point. That's a good point. And kind of took it in the wrong direction. And it part of it, I think, was a big part of it was the buy-in from the players. Like what Marcel Darius said this week was, it was too complicated. There was too many checks. There's too many changes when, like, based on what the offense does, guys weren't getting into the spots they needed to get into. And when they lost a few key veteran guys that could kind of like direct everybody, it all kind of went to shit. And so, I mean, that's on the coaching staff to put your players in positions where they can succeed. You know, obviously there's responsibility with the players, clearly. But, I mean, I think it it came down to the players kind of thought, or based on what people are saying, clearly. You know, like the players didn't really think he was putting them in a good position to, to succeed. So... I don't know. That's the, you know, obviously I I agree with you because sometimes it's not always cut and dry. Like if you're a defensive coach, your defense should be great. But in this case, I think he took what was really a talented defense, lots of, you know, lots of stars and lots of good role players and just couldn't get the job done with that group. I'll be really curious to see what happens with Anthony Lynn going forward. He's a guy we've both enjoyed his work this year. You've written about Mm -hmm. it, just the way their run game looks. And I don't know if he's going to get hired there, but I would like to see him in a place where he get the most of a running back. The idea of him either being the head coach or the offensive coordinator in Los Angeles is very attractive to me. Oh, yeah. 
Definitely. Because I love the idea of him trying to work with Todd Gurley and trying to milk the most out of an offensive line that may not have a ton of talent, but still could benefit from a guy who executes a running game the way he can. Absolutely. Give him some identity, you know, um, which is what I think Anthony Lynn did in Buffalo. It, it, he made that run game their identity and it carried them far. You know, like we said a couple of times, I didn't uh, I didn't check this week, but like as of last week, they were actually number one in run DVOA over it was by a Dallas. Lot. Yeah. So, I mean, that's like just saying just saying that alone, like number one in run defense above or sorry, in run offense above Dallas, which is just like crazy talk. So. Um, yeah, I mean, I really like that and, and it'll be really, you know, I wonder what will happen there because, you know, Doug Whaley's still going to be the GM, you know, he's the guy that made, you know, some of these decisions that kind of took the team in the wrong direction. So we'll see what happens, but, uh, yeah, I, I definitely earned some respect for, for Lynn and kind of like, I, I really enjoyed sort of what he, you know, brought to that offense. And the other part about the other news that's come out about them this week, that should have some implications moving forward. Tyrod Taylor is not going to play. They have said that E.J. Yeah. Manuel is going to start this week at quarterback. Anthony Lynn referred to it today as a business decision. He was which, not bullshitting. <laughs> no, and, and that's exactly what it is. It is a business yeah. decision because they're worried about him getting hurt. And right. I feel like this is a sign that Tyrod Taylor will probably not be the quarterback there next season. And yeah, I agree. I think that's really interesting because, again, he becomes an opportunity for someone on the free agent market for a price that you could probably live with. And with how many quarterback needy teams there are out there, I feel like somebody's going to take a chance on him again. I don't have Absolutely. any doubt that he'll be a starting quarterback somewhere next season. Absolutely. You could do a lot worse than Tyrod Taylor. It's kind of, I don't know what the word is. It's surprising, I guess, is the best I can come up with that they're not that pleased with them because I thought, you know, what he adds to the run game as a runner is huge you know it's a big part of that 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 identity that they have now um you know he's he's basically been playing without sammy watkins all year and so it's not like they have a shitload of talent at the receiver position you know it's not like they're they're beating guys one-on-one he's kind of just you know working with some guys and i don't know like it's i don't know what they're expecting who are they going to replace him with number one that's the question and then two, like what? What do they really expect from him more? I guess is, is you know do they want him to be just like a top tier passer? Um, I I just don't really get it. I guess I'll be curious to see where he lands. You know, I'm thinking about just schematically some of the teams that may need a quarterback. Denver doesn't seem like it makes a lot of sense. You know, they're so under center, and that's not. I I, I can't see him running that offense. Houston also just price wise and I, I can't it'd be hard to see him in that offense but I do think that there is probably a team out there that he would fit with I'm just I can't put my finger on it right now what do you think of Chicago I don't know I mean I, I wouldn't be <laughs> upset about it but I, I wouldn't want Tyrod Taylor to be the long-term answer at quarterback okay uh, that, I, I, if they signed him to like a two-year deal and because they weren't impressed with the quarterback options in this draft I could live with that I, right. I would be okay with that. I mean, yeah, at worst, he's a bridge quarterback, at worst. Yeah, and, and there are teams that could certainly use a bridge quarterback right now. Yeah, right, I, and uh, that, it'll definitely be really interesting to see where he ends up. But, I mean, we're assuming now that he's done there, um, you know, and, and who knows that maybe they could figure something out and keep him. But, but yeah, he, that's going to be one of the kind of big offseason, I think, storylines. 
All right, let's stick with teams not making the playoffs because this was newsworthy in my mind. The Cleveland Browns won a football game, and it was great. I mean, if you're the Browns, last weekend really couldn't have gone any better. You win against a team that's a real NFL team, one that has like 29 players on IR but is still a real NFL team, and now you have one win, which is a huge deal. Not going 0-16 matters. I mean, as much as they may say that this season wasn't about wins and losses – Going 0-16, becoming the second team ever to do that, that sticks with you. They don't have to worry about that anymore. And the Niners winning means the Browns still have the first pick in the draft. It went (laughs) perfectly. Yeah. It's uh and and how perfect is it also that they beat the Chargers to make to like you know be the only team to that they beat this season? It's like the Chargers are the saddest. I know. It's like the the saddest franchise. The Chargers. It uh, it really is hard to watch. But um, but yeah, I mean, like I agree. You don't want to. There's bad, and then there's historically bad, or you know, like infamously bad. And you know, there's a lot of teams that have won one game in a season, and people kind of forget about it. So if you lose all sixteen, that's like you said, it sticks with you. And you know, I think it, it like it's one of those. It's not a huge deal, but it matters. So yeah, congrats to the Browns for that. You know, it, it does seem like they're moving in the right direction, even though this season has been really, really tough for them. Um, you know, I guess there's nowhere to go but up at, at this point, but there, there does seem to be some young, exciting players and, you know, good, like exciting coach. And so, I don't know, things are going well for them, I think, overall and like in the long term. I totally agree. And if they're the team that was least like the least surprising to make miss the playoffs, the team that most surprising to miss the playoffs is definitely Denver. And they're yeah. out of it. You know, I, I was on in Oakland today. They were doing a conference call with the. Broncos with uh, Chris Harris and somebody asked him, "Like this is the first time you haven't played in a game that matters in a while." I mean, it's true. I mean, this is a team that's been around the playoffs, been around the Super Bowl pretty much every year since Peyton yeah. Manning got there, and now they're going to be watching from home. And it's just kind of shocking watching that game. Did it give you a different idea of who Kansas City was as we start the playoffs? Yeah, it did actually because they feel. A lot more explosive. I think you wrote about this too. Is they feel like a lot more explosive of a team than maybe we think they are. You know, yeah. they got a they got a big explosive play from Tyreek Hill. They got a seventy yard touchdown, I think, from Travis Kelsey. Um, they don't push the ball down the field really very much, but they mix inside outside stuff. You know, Andy Reid does a lot of you know he does a good job of kind of making de- like the opposing defense defend the whole field. Um, and they have these players that can make these explosive plays. So to me, their offense is a little more explosive than I think in my mind I've had them as kind of, you know what I mean? So I think that matters in the playoffs a lot because sometimes it comes down to two or three big plays. I agree. And it just seems like Travis Kelsey's taken his game to a new level too. Yeah. I mean, he was an absolute monster on Sunday, both as a blocker and a receiver. So if you can have those two or three plays from him, Tyreek Hill, I mean, we haven't even mentioned Jeremy Macklin's name in like six weeks. It just feels like he isn't even a part of the offense anymore. The fact that he's just lingering somewhere. I know he's not a huge part of what they do at this moment, but he still has plenty of talent. It just feels like, you know, you said that, Khalil Mack can make a game-changing play here or there on offense, or excuse me, on Mm -hmm. defense. It seems like the Chiefs have those kind of players on offense. You know, it's not this constant barrage, but once or twice a game, they can do enough for them to win. Yeah, and that's huge because that's something that they really haven't had. And because the you know, like because they don't have an explosive downfield passing offense, like teams can kind of like you know stack the box and 
and bully the receivers at the line and things like that. But now you kind of have to back up and say, maybe we should have an extra safety back here for, you know, defending the sweeps, or maybe we should have an extra safety here against some of these, you know, screen passes. It's, it's things that kind of get into the defense's head that, you know, kind of can open up everything else for the whole offense. So um, it, it was funny because I was looking at the the Kansas City offense and, and I totally kind of had forgotten about Macklin almost you know I was is he like if he could kind of come in and be like a chains mover at the very least like that's huge for them too so um it, and it's funny because we have also you know they've just played this whole year without Jamal Charles it's like you kind of forget that he is part of that team for a long time uh it's it just feels like a different Kansas City offense right now and you know obviously their defense is really strong so they look like despite having kind of like an underwhelming quarterback in, in Alex Smith, you know, he's still, it, it's still a, an effective, efficient offense that now can make explosive plays, which is huge in the playoffs. And they're 11th in weighted offensive DVOA. The, early in the season, you know, they were down in the 20s. They weren't. Right, we talked right. in previous years about how they were quietly this efficient team, but they weren't even quietly efficient this year. They just weren't to that level. And now they are. You know, now they're getting back to that place where it's just like, okay, we're really going to move the ball and we're really going to be able to have this offense that even if we don't beat you over the top, we can still carve you up underneath. And they are that. And it makes them dangerous because there aren't many balanced teams just in this tournament at all. You know, especially right. in the NFC, it feels like their teams are very unbalanced. In the AFC, New England's defense is probably better than we've given it credit for. The Steelers, we've talked about, have some playmakers on that side of the ball. But KC is slowly turned into that team again that when we start the playoffs, have both of those teams go, excuse me, has both of those things going for them. Yeah. And they have some good special teams. So, um, I mean, yeah, the, the Chiefs look pretty dangerous right now, I think. And, you know, I, I think I've been saying it the whole season. We're kind of overlooking the Chiefs or overlooking the Chiefs. And, you know, people might give us crap for calling them kind of a boring team. I don't think they're that boring. I mean, they're, they're really not that boring now, especially with, you know, Tyreek Hill kind of coming on as like a star. And we've talked about him on, on previous episodes. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he, he's given them kind of this different dimension to their offense that makes them a lot more, you know, just dangerous down the field. So, uh, yeah, the, the Chiefs – it. So who? How does that have to play out? They, have, I know that we're going to talk about the playoff scenarios later, but they basically, if they win and Oakland loses, they're the number two seed and they get a first round. Correct. Bye. Yep. Right. So God, they could be. You know, that could be a dangerous team in the playoffs. But no matter how that shakes out, the number five seed will play against Houston, and if you can't beat the Texans in that wild card round, you probably don't deserve to be considered a Super Bowl contender. So uh, I right. think that that's a huge thing. You know, they Even if you don't get the bye, it's a, te- a game against a team without much going for it. So, But the other game on Sunday that uh, we should probably talk about, what happened with Baltimore and Pittsburgh, I mean, the end yeah. of that game, bravo. I mean, that's the type of stuff <laughs> that I have been really wanting to see. And it just seems like with these two teams, that kind of stuff is inevitable. You know, with a season on the line, we were definitely going to get a show. How freaking great. I mean, I don't know how much people have talked about it. It's been weird because we've been sort of off the grid the last like week or so um, with the, the holidays and everything. But how great was that play by Antonio Brown? I mean, oh my God, there were three guys there. And it wasn't even that just that play. He made one earlier in the drive that was crazy. Just like shaking guys off and getting out of bounds. Uh, The amount of talent on the field for that display Pittsburgh put on was nuts. Uh, And you know what I was really impressed by as well? Their offensive line is playing well. 
They're playing. Mm-hmm. They've really come together. They passed off a blitz on that drive. It was actually on that Antonio Brown catch where it was just so seamless in a pivotal moment. And it wasn't as if the Ravens defense had been out there for 10 minutes. This is the third or fourth play of that drive. And I just think that if Roethlisberger can play well, if his knee can hold up, this is just a team that has too much firepower to be ignored. Yeah. Yeah. They're definitely kind of getting hot at the right time. And I kind of doubted them a little bit earlier on in the year. They just seemed real dysfunctional and real un- inconsistent and everything. But like, and, and now, like, I mean, even now, Roethlisberger hasn't played amazing. Like that last drive was, was vintage, you know, Roethlisberger late in the game and everything like that. But I mean, he threw a couple backbreaking, potentially backbreaking picks in this game. Um, you know, he's had a couple stinkers of games the last couple weeks. And so, I mean, if he rounds out and even plays just like efficiently without turning the ball over, like that team looks scary good. Like they look real dangerous. So, yeah, I mean, the Steelers to me look like the biggest threat. Like we just got done talking about the Chiefs. I think the Chiefs are a big threat to the Patriots, but I think the Steelers have to be the scariest team in the AFC to kind of challenge the Patriots right now. You would, as a Patriots fan, you would have loved if the Ravens had won that game. You'd have absolutely loved it. If you had got to go into a playoff scenario where the quarterbacks you had to play against were Joe Flacco, Matt Moore, Tom Savage, Alex Smith, and Matt McGloin, that's pretty good. And we were one, we were one Steelers drive away from that happening. Oh my God, that is insane! That like just seriously, that is hilarious. What I'm really glad that didn't happen. Kind of sorry, Baltimore. <laughs> I I honestly I feel the same way. I was thinking about that as it was happening. I was like, we're really gonna do this. We're gonna give the Patriots the playoffs again, and also not have the Steelers offense in the playoffs. How is that possible? And right. thank God, thank God for Antonio Brown. I mean, in more ways than one. But but in this moment, he he really saved us all. Oh God, yeah, and again, that play was just—I mean, that was one of the coolest plays probably this whole season, honestly. Because if he doesn't get his hand over and, and break the plane, I don't think they have time to get up to the line and, and run another play. I think the game is over. It's probably over. I mean, that is the worst part. Is that or the best part? I mean, him reaching over is just such a heady play, knowing that if I don't get into the end zone here, it's done. We do not yeah. have time to get another snap off. All right, Danny, before we get to the rest of the show, let's hear from a couple of our sponsors. Today's Ringer NFL show is brought to you by MeUndies. Picture a world where putting on a new pair of underwear isn't just fresh. You're stepping into a better day. Think about it. Underwear is the first thing you put on and the last thing you take off. Why would you settle for anything less than the best feeling underwear on the planet? MeUndies focuses solely on producing the most comfortable underwear you've ever experienced. My friends at MeUndies sent me a few pairs a while back, and now I can't imagine wearing anything else. It really makes each day that much better. For the price of two cocktails, MeUndies will deliver your new favorite pair of underwear right to your doorstep. It's a better day, guaranteed. Try them on, and if they aren't the most comfortable, best-feeling undies you've ever had, they'll refund you and let you keep your first pair for free. Included in the price is the sweet touch of Modal, a special fabric made with best-in-class raw materials that are scientifically proven to be three times softer than cotton. These uber cozy undies are sold exclusively on the MeUndies website, where you'll enjoy free shipping in the U.S. and Canada. And for a limited time, everyone in our audience gets 20% off their first order, but you have to go to our special URL to get it, MeUndies.com slash NFL show. With the MeUndies Better Day Guarantee, you have nothing to lose, so don't wait any longer. Go to MeUndies.com slash NFL show right now for 20% off your first order. That's MeUndies.com slash NFL show. 
We'd also again like to thank our friends at Miller Lite. Miller Lite is brewed to be light beer with more taste, less calories, and half the carbs. So that on any given Sunday, you don't have to settle for any given light beer. Great tasting, 96 calories, Miller Lite. Spelled different because it's brewed different. All right, Danny, like we said earlier, on Friday's video, we're going to break down a lot of the playoff scenarios. So to cap off this show, I wanted to dig into something that a little quieter, you know, just something we enjoyed about the NFL NFL season that we haven't talked about a lot. And I'm calling this our starting five of just ringer NFL show all-stars. Dudes, you enjoyed watching that aren't necessarily pro bowlers, that aren't necessarily superstars, but people that made your NFL season something that was more enjoyable. So why don't you start off? Who's your first guy? Well, I mean, this guy's not like a, a no-name guy, and I think he's gotten a little bit of pub this year, but over the season, I've watched him a couple times pretty closely, and Jalen Ramsey of the Jaguars, cornerback, is going to be a superstar in this league, I think. Um, you know, I didn't actually didn't check to see if he made the Pro Bowl or not, but regardless, the guy has been playing so, so well this year, and it's he's he's one of the superstars on kind of a bad team, but... Um, I saw PFF, Mike Renner, I believe, um, tweeted this out the other day. He, in the last six games, um, he's had, he's allowed 12 catches on 35 targets, 145 yards, no touchdowns, two interceptions, eight pass breakups, and an opposing quarterback rating of 24.1. I mean, he's just been balling out. And I mean, the, the game that I watched closely was him against, uh, DeAndre Hopkins a couple weeks ago. And th- those two had a really good battle. Obviously, Hopkins had a couple of big plays, but I mean, they were going toe to toe, and Ramsey was like, he wasn't giving him an inch. So this guy's a lot of fun to watch. I think um, if he's not already on your radar, he's gonna be. He's gonna be, you know, one of the top, like Patrick Peterson esque, like, and you know, not not necessarily this year, but definitely like next year and the year after. I think he's gonna be kind of one of those superstar cornerbacks, and you know, there's not a lot of them right now, so. Uh, Gus Bradley getting fired and that team being disappointing, that's not on the defense. They made strides right. this year as a group. I feel like there's enough talent on that side of the ball where a guy that comes in there and if they can turn the offense around, this team isn't that far away from being relevant. And I'm not saying they're going to compete for a Super Bowl next season, but it's pieces like Jalen Ramsey that make them intriguing. So. My uh, my first guy is somebody I've talked about in this show before, somebody that just came out of absolutely nowhere to be a playmaker on a team that probably isn't going to make the playoffs, but was certainly close, and that's Kerry Hyder on the Lions. Oh, yeah. That's when a you're one. a defensive end who's number 61, you know you weren't close to making the team. <laughs> I, I mean, that's all you need to know about the expectations they had for him. He's a guy that got cut by the Jets last year, and he lost some weight and really started making some plays. I mean, the first six or seven weeks of the season, he was just showing up all the time. And he's the type of guy that just is a pleasant surprise when you really dig into the season. Somebody you'd never heard of, never expect anything of. And. He's just jumping off the screen once a game. Yeah. I mean, especially with uh, Ezekiel Ansa didn't really have the year that he was wanting to have. I don't think he yep. has any sacks. And so he's that guy. Yeah, he definitely stepped up for, for the Lions defense, and they don't have a ton of pass rush. But, yeah, he, he was another one of those guys. You keep hearing his name, and, um, you know, you kind of wonder where he came from. <laughs> I didn't. I, I hadn't barely heard his name before this year at all. So um, definitely I think that was a good one. Um I don't know. I, none of mine are kind of that low-key. That's I, fine. I, one, the rest of mine aren't either, so you're totally good. All right. All right. So I'm going to jump around here. One guy that I really enjoyed watching this year, um, 
was pretty much the lone bright spot on his team, and that's Carlos Hyde for the 49ers. Yep. Uh, he finished the year, well, I guess, I don't think he's out next week, so he finished yeah, the he's year with IR. Right. 988 yards, six touchdowns, and that's, you know, nothing to write home about, but 4.6 yards per carry. And then according to Pro Football Focus, he was third in the NFL in yards after contact per carry behind only Jay and Chris Thompson of the, of the Redskins. So, I mean, that guy was, he was basically creating offense for himself. He, he's just a fun guy to watch run the ball. He's got some wiggle. He's big so he can run guys over. Um, you know, I think he's just a, he's a pretty complete back, but you forget about him because he's on a terrible, terrible offense. But so I wanted to give him some credit because he was a fun player to watch. If the Packers were a team that made really splashy moves, you know, not very subtle, conscious, you know, this is, we're a very cautious organization type of moves. I would have called San Francisco and seen what it would have taken to get Carlos Hyde. Oh God. That would be, yeah, that would be a great like matchup or, you know, they would, they would fit well together. Um, I assume yeah. they would ask for a lot to have them pry <laughs> right. him away. I, if Chip's going to be the head coach there, there's no way he wanted him anywhere else, but San Francisco, but it just seems like a thing where I would love to see him saved. And that's the scenario <laughs> yeah. that I would have liked to see the most that would be a great sort of need and like you said like save him from a bad team kind of thing i would have loved that uh, my second guy is not that far off from the same idea you know take it from an awful situation into a very good one the resurgent season that alex mack has had in atlanta is really great fun one. You know, yeah, he was a guy one. that I loved watching. A couple of years ago, people don't remember this because it went south pretty much after he got hurt. The Browns were like a top five team in offensive DVOA for the first six or seven weeks with Kyle Shanahan as their offensive coordinator. They were running the ball so well. It was mm-hmm. Petonio's rookie year. So they had a line that was Thomas, Petonio, Alex Mack, Mitchell Schwartz. And it was a really good group. Jeez. I think John, Jekka, or John Greco was the right guard. They were just mowing people down. And he is such a good run-blocking center when he's right. And he wasn't quite to that level the year after he came back from the broken leg. He gets a really big deal from Atlanta, and he has lived up to every single bit of that. He's been the centerpiece of that run game. You know, Both of those backs are great, but he's the most important part of what they've done on the ground. And watching him do his thing again, it is offensive line nerdery to its best. So, (laughs) I mean, it is really fun to see a guy who was a star regain that form and really help transform an offense. You know, you can, Taylor Gabriel's helped them. Muhammad Sanu's been a nice piece. But the addition that's really put them over the top is Alex Mack. And that is the one that will not be talked about as the Falcons' barrel on toward having a historically great offense yeah and i mean you know all about sort of like the importance of offensive line play um in a, in a zone in a wide zone scheme like atlanta runs you know they, they run a lot of just inside outside zone that's kind of their their identity from the front of the, you know from the offensive line it's so important to have a guy who can reach a play side tackle you know it's it's one of those things that it's like it's just kind of simple like you got to block this guy but if you're not good at that, like it, it ruins the rest of the offensive line in terms of run blocking because those guys can just knife through, and it, it's a, it's a cascading effect. Of, it just makes everything so much worse. So, yeah, I love that. I love that signing. Um, I think he's been, like you said, he it's it's not hyperbole to say that he's been one of the biggest reasons that they've kind of just exploded on offense. So that's one of those under the radar, really, really, really solid signings this year. And so I totally agree with that one. Um, my third guy is Joey Bosa. And, and again, he's kind of like Ramsey. Like he's, he's becoming more of a household name. 
But because he's on the Chargers, because they're not going to make the playoffs, he's a guy that we might not talk about over the next month and a half. But, I mean, he came on so strong immediately. I think he started in week five, and he already has nine and a half sacks on the year, forced fumble. Uh, per PFF, he has 54 total QB pressures, which is a really, really good number, um, you know, especially for a rookie. And so, I don't know, this is another guy who's like a future superstar, like, he looks like one of the best defensive ends in the NFL already, and he's you know he's just starting out in his career. And he's fantastic. I mean, he's already one of my favorite pass rushers to watch in the league, and he's a rookie. It's amazing how quickly he's just gotten everything down. Uh, my third guy is kind of a weird one, somebody who's been around forever and just not somebody you ever think about. It's Pierre Garçon. I like that I, one. I, I just loved watching <laughs> Pierre Garçon play wide receiver this year. I, I think he gets so overlooked in that offense because we're always talking about is Kirk Cousins good or not, and look at Jordan Reed, and isn't Deshaun right. Jackson fast. Pierre Garçon is just a fantastic football player, and I, I just think that he's had such a quietly great career in a couple different offenses. And I don't know, just every time I looked up this year, he seemed to be doing something that was like, wow, that guy can just play. Yeah. He's kind of he he's very the way that I would describe his playing style is like ferocious. He's he's yeah. just a, he approaches the game with ferocity, <laughs> which you love. He's he's kind of like that a little bit of the Steve Smith in him. Like he's just chip on his shoulder, plays mad, very physical. Um, you know, he's he's just a dependable guy. So I, I like that one a lot. Uh, um, my fourth guy is. Sort of in the same vein, but not really. And it's Kenny Britt uh, from the Rams. Again, it was kind of one of these guys that is on a terrible, terrible offense. So it's kind of hard to like pick anyone out that was, quote, fun to watch or whatever. But it was kind of cool to see him sort of ascend to being a, you know, a number one receiver for them. And a couple of the plays that he made this year were actually really ridiculously good. Like he had a couple touchdowns where he ping-ponged off guys after making a catch and just through like sheer force of will made it into the end zone and these were big plays for the Rams of course you know their offense was terrible and they had quarterback issues all year and they couldn't run the ball but Kenny Britt had a thousand yards receiving or he has it over a thousand yards receiving now so um you know kind of a cool comeback story for him and he was he was the lone you know I guess the exciting part of that offense all year I hope that they can get something out of Goff next year and Britt can turn into a little bit more than he even was this season. Just some stability at quarterback and really give him a chance to unlock whatever's left in his career. He's only 28. You know, he'll be 29 at the start of next season or just early on next season. So you can imagine him having one or two more years where he could easily play at this level. And it'd be nice to see him actually play with a quarterback. Right. Uh, totally. My fourth guy is, is somebody I've talked about for years, and he just he's still on this list for me. Kalecho Samoa is one of my favorite mm-hmm. parts of watching football. I, I mean, you just don't see guys move people like he can. As a <laughs> right. guard, he plays for the Raiders, by the way. I, I just assume everyone probably knows who that <laughs> is. Uh, he, they signed him to a massive deal. He's the highest paid guard in the league now. And the way he can just toss people around... It's appointment television for me. There's just no one <laughs> like him in the league in terms of pure physical dominance. You know, Marshall Yonda is a great run blocker, but it just isn't quite on the level of spectacle the way Osamalei can still do it. He's kind of yeah. He's he's sort of like a the perfect balance of technician and mauler. Yep. And I would love to see. I don't. I would love to see. I don't think this is a stat anyone really publishes, but the amount of pancake blocks that he's had this year. 
it wasn't Madden like 10 years ago. That was a big <laughs> deal. Even if you didn't have good offensive linemen, if your offense was really good, they'd have the most in the league. I don't know why yeah. I remember that. It's like Madden 2005. <laughs> yeah, but it seems like every game there's like someone posting a vine of Osemele of, of just yep. pancaking the hell out of a guy. <laughs> he he so, has turned like offensive line play into a highlight reel economy, which yeah. there isn't anyone else in the league that can possibly do that. Absolutely. Uh, my fifth and final guy is I wanted to give a little bit of credit to the Saints defense for kind of coming on strong and then yeah. the end of the season. Cam and Jordan. Pick, yep, there you go. Uh, Jordan Cameron, actually. Oh, excuse or is me. It Cameron Jordan. No, oh, it's Cameron Jordan. It's Cameron Jordan. Cameron Jordan. You're right. You're yeah. right. You're right. I wrote down Jordan Cameron. That's clearly wrong. Anyway. He's been so um, under radar that you don't even know what his name is. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but he's just, I don't know. He's a very, very disruptive player. He has seven and a half sacks, six pass defenses, a forced fumble. And he, and along with a couple other guys, kind of trans, helped transform the Saints defense from literally probably the worst defense of all time last year into a pretty respectable group. Not, not, not a top group, clearly. But, um, you know, they're, they're a team that's still kind of, I, I mean, obviously this this week they're playing the Falcons, and that's a big game for the Falcons based on seeding and, and you know what happens with that and the Seahawks and everything. Um, but he's a guy that you know he he's he's just explosive. He's he's an explosive athlete. He's one of the I think probably one of the better athletes in the NFL, honestly, and no one really knows about it. Um, so I just wanted to give some credit to him because he's a fun player to watch on the defensive line um, for for a team that you know doesn't really get much love for their defense. Yeah, I, I totally agree. He's only 27. You know, he's a guy that's been in the league for a while. In that 2011 draft class with all the monsters we talk about all the time, and he came along a little bit slower than those guys. This was the best season of his career, uh, but it feels like we're going to see a lot more of that in the next couple of years. Yeah. So uh, my fourth guy, or excuse me, my fifth guy. I mean, I have to have a Bears player because this was the entire point of the Bears season was finding dudes who were just quietly enjoyable to watch. Akeem Hicks had a great season. Nice. Uh, a guy they signed for pretty much nothing. You know, that interior line spot that's nebulous between being a tackle and an end sometimes. I just love the plays that he made. As a pass rusher, he showed up. He was great against the run. You know, that defense was not a walkover group, and it was signings like that that were the reason. You know, Vic Fangio and some shrewd moves in the front seven are, are what kept them afloat despite a ton of injuries in the secondary. And I really liked watching him. You know, they'll have him on a pretty cheap contract for next season as well. And I have some hope for that area of the Bears roster and it's because of guys like that. Yeah, when they when they signed him, I just remember thinking at the time, like that's a great Fangio signing. Like it yep. just seems like a fit for what they're trying to build. And I remember playing, you know, the Seah watching the Seahawks play the 49ers under Fangio. They always had big, tough guys on the inside. You know, Justin Smith, obviously, all, all pro kind of guy. And I'm not comparing Hicks to him. But, you know, it's just like tough, physical, huge guys that they can move around on the inside. And it just it's it's hard to deal with them. And I think you said it like they weren't an easy out this, you know, the last like four or five weeks. Like maybe they didn't win very many of them, but like they were giving teams fits in 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 games that everyone was kind of like oh this is gonna be a walkover so i mean there's 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 some optimism i think to go forward with for the for the bears I, I, we've talked about their front seven all year um you know there's there's definitely some talent on there on that side and, and 
if they can figure out the quarterback situation, I think that they'll be in good shape. I, I almost put Jordan Howard um, as one of my guys. Just you know, watching him run this year has been a lot of fun. You know, again, it's kind of one of the the bright spots of a bad team, but you know, he he's very physical, bounces off tackles and all that. And I, I know I'm kind of adding a sixth here, just bonus, but <laughs> but yeah, uh, overall the Bears. I think the Bears have a good foundation. Howard is that guy that reminds me of some of the other non-burner running backs that somehow just churn out yards left and right. He's not as yeah. smooth as Arian Foster, but it's that same kind of idea. It's just somebody that really understands the position and can make things happen despite not being able to run away from you. And I'm yeah. excited to watch him. I think he's going to be a part of what they do moving forward. If we're throwing on a sixth guy, I'm doing Chris Jones from the Chiefs. I, uh, oh, that's I, a good one. That's a good one. I, I love those long interior guys that really make plays with their hands and just mm-hmm. swing them around. He reminds me a little bit of like what Calais Campbell can do in there was when a, Muhammad Wilkerson was, was at his best. Uh, I, I love that style player, and he's become a guy that has made an impact as a pass rusher on the inside very quickly, and that's a spot where it's hard to do. Usually it requires some time and some nuance, and it, he has made his presence felt right away. I think I saw, and people people in the comments can correct me if I'm wrong, I think I saw a stat the other day that said behind Aaron Donald in the last, I think, six or eight weeks or something like that, it was, it was like halfway through the season or something like that since, that they did this stat, but he's been the second most disruptive defensive tackle or, or interior defender uh, other than Aaron Donald. So, there we I go. Mean, he's, He's been making plays, you know, that, that, kind of, that position doesn't get a ton of love you know, nationwide just because... You know, they're kind of like the interior guys just don't. But, but yeah. He, I don't like definitely... your tone, Danny. <laughs> well, I mean, we're doing you're, – you're spreading the gospel, so we're, we're doing our part. All right. But... That's right. Uh, that, all right. That's what I like to hear. <laughs> all right, bud. That's, uh, I think that's all we got. You know, we're going to be back later this week, like we said. We'll do all the playoff minutia and breakdowns you want at that point, all the looking forward, all the predictions. But uh, thank you guys for bearing with us and waiting a couple days for this week's show. And we will be back later in the week and then as we move on toward the playoffs. Thanks for doing this, bud. This was fun. Absolutely.